Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, Brett. How are you? I'm okay. How are you today? I'm great. You're better than okay, aren't you? Yeah, I think I'm good. You think you're good? Yeah, I think I'm good. I'm excellent. Excellent. So we wanted to have a conversation. You know, we've seen a lot of international and national firms making their way into the Miami market. You know, big headlines splashed all over the place. And, you know, there's like this now idea about big firm, small firm, you know, what should right. I do as a young lawyer? Not me personally, but if I was a young lawyer asking that question, what should I do? Should I go big firm? Smaller firm, boutique firm, big firms are, you know, the price tags are high. They're paying big dollars and we know kind of what goes along with that. Right. And so we thought we'd talk maybe a yeah. little bit about that today. I think it's a great topic. I, you know, you and I are big firm, hmm. former big firm guys. I worked at two international firms and... You know, I certainly understand the allure, but I think the question really, obviously it's an individual question. Yeah. I don't know that you and I could answer that for anyone. Nope. But if we were asked, and we are asked pretty frequently by young lawyers what to do, I think first it depends on the firm and the office, right? So, the firm, the office, the practice area. Right, yeah. firm, the office, the practice area, the people you're working with. Right. You know, there's so many factors, but if we start with the firm and the office, to me it's, you know, we've seen... As an example, if it's a new office, mm -hmm. I would want to put some thought into how committed they are because we saw, I remember back in the 90s, Miami led the nation in failed satellite offices. And there yeah. was a string of firms who opened Miami offices thinking that they were going to be the gateway to Latin America. And when that didn't work out, you know, when, when they start to cut costs, where's the first place you cut costs? The, the last office you opened, you know, right. let's shut that down. And so... That would be at least one concern. But then it really depends on the practice, you know, is, is the kind of practice that needs a big firm, you know, platform. Some practices lend themselves more to that. You know, M&A, for example, if you're doing big ticket M&A, you know, an M&A, a, a merger or acquisition requires multiple areas of expertise. You need labor and employment, you need tax, you may need real estate, you mean regulatory, transactional. There's so many, you know, pieces to that that it's hard to assemble them through smaller firms. But yeah, and I mean look, I mean there are definitely we know big firms and individual groups and offices that have, you know, high quality bankruptcy or litigation departments as well or individual lawyers sure. that are, are really good there too. So I think the initial issues and questions you raised, which is look at the office, look at the practice area, look at the individual people and lawyers that you're going to be working with, right? But to me, a lot of it is asking questions, you know, sure. and not just going along with, well, hey, man, look at the name is great and right. look how beautiful their offices Don't are. Buy it, and just buy into the brand. Just right? buy into the brand. And then you listen, and it's hard when you're a young lawyer, but, you know, looking at the the price tag and how much they're willing to throw at you. And we've seen over the years, like those numbers just jump to what was five years ago or 10 years ago, just, just inconceivable, right? 
And so along with that, though, you have to ask those questions. Well, okay, if you're going to pay me that, and if you're going to bring me in, let me ask these questions. Like, what am I going to be, what are the expectations? What am I going to be doing? Who am I going to be working with? You know, what am I going to be doing? Yeah. I think the compensation is, you know, we can spend, you know, an hour on the, <laughs> just the oh, compensation. Yeah. But before we get to that, yeah. I think part of it is, who are you going to work with? Really? That's really what matters most. If you're part of a small group in a big office, that group is who you're working with. And I always liked the allure. I was, I remember when I was out looking, I love the idea of a small office of a big firm because that gives you kind of both worlds. You have a small office where you know everyone and hopefully it's a collegial environment, but you have access to big clients and you have access to expertise in other offices. The risk is if you're a small office at a big firm, that office may not have much of a voice at the firm. And so you're... you're well, it may get a, shut down, as right, you said it could earlier. Get shut right, down, if, if, right. but also your opportunities for advancement may be limited mm-hmm. because it's a small office and maybe they don't have pull or maybe that office isn't profitable as compared to the rest of the firm. And there, you know, there's so many factors that go along with that stuff. Having said that, you know, the, your point about compensation, you know, obviously it's a personal thing. Some people are coming out of law school with a ton of debt. And the cost of living are higher. And so the allure of that big paycheck is certainly, you know, a driver. But sometimes, you know, it's harder to, you know, one, it comes along with expectations, as you said. And, that you know, those could be billable hours and business development, whatever they may be. But sometimes if the billable hour expectation is so high, when you divide up by the number of hours if you, and, you, yeah. and you think about the paycheck, the paycheck could actually be, lower per hour than it, than it would be at, a, at some other firm that has uh, a lower expectation. Yeah. And with the compensation, you know, I, I think you've got to, like you said, ask the expectations and go into that and know, listen, if they're paying me that much, I'm going to have to build. Like in order for them to make money, right? The firm has yeah, to make money. Yeah, it's a profit. Number it's one, they've got a, It's a business. They're in the business. So that's okay. Profit, I mean, they yeah. have to make money at their turn of profit. You know, how many hours do I have to bill? What am I going to be billed at? And am I just going to be another number? Like you said, am I working in a smaller group? Is there going to be a name and a face? Like, right. who am I going to be Are there mentors with? there? Am I going to get the kind of mentorship right. that I need? Yeah. And who else is there? How long have they been there? Is this a tight-knit group? Right. Or, you know, the, the problem you have now is, you know, there's bidding wars for talent from some of these big firms. And especially here in Miami now, you have a lot of these big names coming in and, you know, they're looking to fill the right. offices and... You know, are they going to be going to other big firms and pulling talent or other law firms in town? And so, you know, I always tell young lawyers, I know you feel the same way, at least the old school way was, you know, don't jump around. So if you're going somewhere and you're going to make a move, that's fine if you feel that's the best thing for you. But I would look at the office and figure out, you know, how long has the partner I'm going to be working for been there? How long have the other lawyers been there? You know, and have any lawyers made partner? Have, right, have any? <laughs> Are they making right. partners? Is there a partner track? Am if I that's what you impo- want, maybe, maybe, maybe you don't want partnerships. That. Not important. Right. It's all individual, but you need to ask the questions and look behind. You know, some of the sort of shiny right. objects that they you know get thrown at you, and that's hard as a young lawyer. And I understand that. And it's hard, like you said. There's law school loans, and you know the cost of living is going up, and I get it. But you also have to think about, number one, future. But number two, is the money that different right. at the end of the yeah. day from maybe a, what a boutique can pay you versus, you know, a big firm? You know, and I think you yeah. have to be willing to peel back that onion right. to make sure that isn't. The other question is, is this the work I want to do? 
Am I fulfilled at the end of the day? Am I going to be happy happy at the end of the day? Fulfilled. And the question you asked is partner, partner track. Is anybody getting elevated if that's what you want to do? You and I both follow Simon Sinek, who, you know, we both, I think he's brilliant. I think you probably agree. He publishes a daily quote. I guess he calls it note to inspire. I give him a a plug, not that he needs it from us. Mm -hmm. And the one that comes to mind that just came out the other day was, do we have the discipline to turn down the job? that only pays well in favor of the one that leaves us feeling fulfilled at the end of the day. I think that's exactly on target. And because, you know, obviously Simon, he doesn't need my help <laughs> supporting his right. uh, inspirational quotes. But right. at the end of the day, first of all, if you if you look at the dollars, to your point, if you, let's say, you know, for ease of math, a $24,000, you know, a year, difference, you know, 100 versus 124, maybe those numbers are low. I'm just using easy math, but seems like a lot. But when you divide it by 12, you know, and now it's $2,000 a month. When you divide it by paycheck every other week, it's $1,000. When you pull the taxes out of it, 700 bucks or $600. Suddenly that money is not so great. And then when you multiply that or divide it by the additional number of hours you're having to put in, you're really making less per hour and most importantly, that paycheck, you know, that feeling of getting, listen, getting your first paycheck is awesome. Yep. Getting a bonus at the end of the year, awesome. All those things are really great, but the feeling of fulfillment doesn't come from a paycheck. You know, nobody ever feels great about a paycheck. They get a paycheck, they spend the money. I would challenge it. It's fleeting. In other words, right. it, you right. feel fulfilled, saying, yeah, you feel great. validated. Yeah, but, but it doesn't last. Exactly. And it's on right. It's on an auto deposit or right. auto direct deposit. You right. don't even see that money. Right. You just have a lifestyle. Right. And hopefully you're not, you know, counting pennies at the end of the month or the pay period and, you know, that. But once you get to a point where you're not at that, that level, the money doesn't, you know, make people happy. And, right? I, and, and I understand that some may be listening. And I, I was one of them, right? I came out of law school with a lot of loans, and I started at the state attorney's office, so money wasn't clearly right. wasn't right. in my mind at that point. But it is hard, and I understand it for some. And they say, "Look, I just I need to earn that kind of money." So when you talk about being fulfilled and blah yeah, blah blah, like yeah, I have to sure. do this, and sure. so I I get it, and <laughs> yeah. not being critical of it, but it is certainly something to sit back and think about right. at the end of the day. Like, where do I want? to be in, and I'm not saying it has to be 10 years or 15 years when you're a young lawyer, but five years. The other thing you mentioned, and I just wanted to touch on it, which is you mentioned bonus. You know, there's a lot of firms that you should ask the question, like, what's the bonus structure here? Because if you're paying me that much in salary, the bonus structure may not be that. Yeah. That's significant, you know? Yeah. I have so many thoughts. Uh, I'm try to <laughs> capture them all. One of them is on that point about bonuses. So, Bonuses are intended to be rewards for good behavior. And so along the lines of the point about expectations, if the billable expectation is 2,200 hours, then in order for you to exceed those expectations, you have to bill 2,400 or 2,600 or you know whatever that number is. And so it becomes increasingly difficult to exceed expectations. Whereas if you're at a lower firm with a lower expectation, it's easier to exceed expectations and still have a life. So I'll make that point. The second is, you know, 
the reason Simon Simon's quote is I'm we're on a first name basis. Yeah, Simon's <laughs> quote is so. <laughs> right. You know why? Because is it Sinek or Cynic? I think yeah, it's I Cynic, know. but I don't. Know. Cynic, Anyways, oh, okay. I didn't want to struggle or with this. I'm going to call him Simon. He's a Cynic. Simon, okay. exactly. Simon's quote. The reason is he he says it. It takes courage. Yeah, it's not easy to take less money. It's nope. a struggle, and I and I remember. I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I came out of law school and I did a clerkship first. My starting salary was $38,000. And you know what? I was happy because I went from zero to 38. Now, I wouldn't have wanted to go to a big law firm and then do, I wouldn't, you know, you know, nobody wants to go backwards, but I knew, okay, this is a stepping stone. I'm going to do this for a year. Mm -hmm. I'm making more than I did before. By the way, I was very, very happy. And, you know, yeah. there's plenty of money for me at that time. And I knew that the next salary level would be higher. And so I would grow into my, you know, my obligations. Eventually I'm going to get to a point where I can pay off these debts. The debts remain fairly constant, but for interest, but I knew that eventually I'm going to get to a point where I can start paying it down. And each time I, I would do that, that's how I did it. I just, every time I got a raise, I would allocate that much more to paying down debt or maximizing 401k or any of those things. There's just so much that goes into this decision. You were at 38, man, you were like, you know, I was at 26 oh, yeah. when I started <laughs> yeah. as a prosecutor. Yeah. In that view, I was, I right. tried to just jump in and get the experience and, you know, knowing that that was yeah, not you knew that it was, a long-term you know, exactly. play for me. You had the courage, though, to do that because you knew that was better for you in the long term. And that's why I think, you know, his quote is relevant. It is. Listen, it's hard. I mean, yeah. it is It is hard to do, especially, listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I had all these, I did not have offers from big firms. I did not, I, I did not have that option back then. Only because they didn't see clearly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you have that option, that's hard. I get it. That oh yeah, hard. to turn it down. If you were, if you were looking at, I think, I don't think you could sit here and say, if I had four offers, two right. from big firms, two from small and one from state attorneys that you would have gone to state attorneys. Is that I, fair? I, I think it's fair to say, I don't know. Right. Okay. I think that would be a very difficult thing for me to turn down back then. So I recognize that. And maybe I didn't have the courage back then to ask the questions given my experience today right. and sitting here and talking about it. But when someone comes, like recently someone came to me and asked me, they, they were going to a big firm and they asked me if they, I thought it was a mistake. And I said, my response was, I can't tell you that. It is not for me to say, if it's a mistake for you. Right. But here's what I can tell you to expect when you go to that firm right. and what you can expect if you don't go there, you work at a, at a boutique or a smaller firm right. and the differences. Right. And here's the things you should know or ask about before you go there to make sure that it is the right place for you. And by the way, some people... It is the absolute right place to be. They thrive there. They make a great career out of it, and they're super successful. So right. fantastic. But before you go, you should ask the right questions and get the answers to those questions and make sure there's transparency. Yeah. It is tough. And talk to a lot of people, I think. And nowadays, it's so different because yeah. now with the internet and, you know, there's, you know— glass door and there's so many different yep. you know sites where you can access information to to different glass door glass ceiling what's the name of that anyway it doesn't matter the Something um, with there's glass. so much access to information that you know it's easy to gather a lot 
But I don't think it's fair to say that all big firms are, you know, work, they work their people to the bone and small firms don't because I know, I remember friends, I had one friend in particular who worked at a boutique firm, you know, less than 10 lawyers, I think. And I remember when we were starting out, he had to work every single Saturday. And he said, most Saturdays I come in and I read the newspaper. I don't have anything to do, but the expectation is that I'm going to be here. You know, and because that's the way the partner of that firm or the head of that firm, you know, that was his mindset. And so I rarely, I I was a big law guy and I rarely worked on the weekends. But my practice was I would stay late on Friday night, you know, with my friends. We wouldn't, we wouldn't go out until late at night on Fridays back in those days. So I would work into my office until eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night on a Friday because, you know, I did that weekend work on Friday night and then I would probably pick up some, some stuff on Sunday. One thing it took me a long time to learn, though, is taking work home on the weekend. I learned that the more, and it took me years to learn this, the more I brought home, the less likely I was to do it, to do the work. So I would bring, you know, if I brought home 10 files, I probably wouldn't touch any of them. But over time, I learned if I brought one file home or two files home, it was more manageable. It wasn't as intimidating. I would go and, I, you know, and let me knock this one thing out. It'll make my Monday that much easier. And so all those things, these are very individualized, you know, and that's the point is I don't think you can judge, a, you know, a book by its cover in this way and say, okay, all big firms are bad and, all, you know, or, or even a big firm that has a reputation of being a sweatshop. There's 200 lawyers there or 300 lawyers there that have been there for a long time. So they're doing something right or it's right enough, right. you know, for people to stay there. So you got to find the, the group that, that fits your needs, the practice that fits your needs, the expectations, you know, and are, are you going to be happy? And again, don't be afraid to ask the question. And yeah. ask the questions that you want answers to that are for you, right? right. That, that are your issues before you make a decision. And, and for the, I guess, you know, given when I said the talent wars, but given that, that right now it seems like it is a, a buyer's market if you are a lawyer looking for a job, that you have the flexibility and the ability to ask those questions and right. inquire to make sure that you go in eyes wide open no matter where you're going, like you said, even a small firm with your friend who had to work on Saturdays. Right. I mean, I was at the state attorney's office like on Sundays, usually or the weekend, sometimes before a trial week. Oh, yeah. I yeah. had my boxes at home and I was going through everything prepping for trials. Sure, sure. The other sort of myth, I suppose, is that if you're at a big firm, you're not going to get real experience. And I would say the law of averages says, yeah, that's probably true, but I'm sure there are lots of exceptions. And I, and I would say the same for the flip side. There's a lot of small firms where the partner does everything and they don't let the associates do anything. You and I work really hard to often sacrificing our own desires and <laughs> to handle hearings. We work really hard to promote our younger people and have them get the experience that they need. Mm-hmm. And there are arguments, oral arguments I can think of that I wanted to do or you wanted to do and we've talked through it and said, you know what, we should let the uh, the associate do it because it's a great experience and they'll get more out of it. You know, and that's a question that doesn't you should happen be asking. at every firm. Right. But, you should be asking those questions, right? You know, we talked about, I mean, just because it's a big firm doesn't mean if you're working at a smaller practice group or a particular office or for a particular partner, you may get that experience there. Right. That maybe someone else in a different office doesn't have because of who they're working for or what practice area. So, But not just ask the partner that you're going to work no. for, ask the associates yeah. on the team. Yeah. And that's the other thing is when you're interviewing, 
if you're not meeting, are you, you know, are you meeting people? Who are they introducing you to? If you're only meeting partners, maybe that's a red flag. Why am I not meeting any of the associates on this team? Do they, are they trying to shield me from them? Right. And reach out to them if you're not asked or say, you know what, can I meet some of the associates? The other thing I would say is, you know, on the topic of asking questions is look around you when you're walking through a law firm to, you know, on interviews, do people pass each other in the hall and not acknowledge each other? Do they say we have an open door policy and you're walking down the hallway and every door is closed? Is it quiet? Like, you know, you can hear a pin drop. Maybe that's the environment you want if you want a quiet environment or are people talking to each other and interacting and, you know, how did the partner treat the associate or, you know, how do people interact with each other? Because from my view, they're on their best behavior then. You know, when you're walking through, it's not going to get better. They're not going to be nicer than when you're there. So if they're rude to each other then, they're going to be rude to each other all the time or disrespectful or whatever it is. So well, you raise an interesting point. Normally, in pre-COVID times, yeah. you'd be able to see that. Yeah. But today, a lot of large firms are not back in the office. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And so you may not get that opportunity. And so it may become even more important to ask the question, hey, am I going to get to talk to or interview with others you know, fellow associates I may be working with or other lawyers I'm going to be working with or dare I say even paralegals or staff members, like other people at the firm that I can talk to and not just partners. I don't know hiring, how it works at other firm, you know, whatever. And are we going to be back in the office? And anytime soon, are we back in the office? And because as a young lawyer, to me, it's invaluable to be around. I mean, there's been, you know, everyone, I, I don't think anyone disagrees that it is super valuable for young lawyers to be around. Oh, to, yeah. To, yeah. you know, to get the benefit of the pop-in, you know, hanging around, just hearing things or being pulled into a meeting so they could sit and listen and learn, whatever it is. And so if you're at a firm that is, the offices are closed, that, you know, you may frankly, coming into a practice group that you're not going to be working with people that are located in your area, you know, that you primarily may be working with people outside of the area, which means you may not have that interaction, you know, walking right. down it's the gonna hall be all or video it's going to be all video conference or phone or email, right. a message board, whatever it is. And they say, hey, I need this memo by this date. Great. Thanks. And that's all you get as opposed to really interacting with people. And so, in today's world, that's changed, right? Substantially oh, yeah, from, sure. from what it used to be. For sure. You know, to your point, you learn so much as a young lawyer about the cases that you're not involved in when you're in the office. When you're, when you're working remotely, you're, you know, you're working, you're learning from the people you're talking about, but mm-hmm. you're learning about those cases and that's it. Mm-hmm. When you're in the office, you overhear conversation about a topic or a struggle that someone's having or you know like we have this all the time in our office when someone has a big hearing or a big depot you come out of that hearing or a depot you know by video and you're kind of have this energy and you walk out in the hall and then you start telling the paralegal about it and we all kind of gather around and hear what happened and there's so many learning opportunities like that that are lost in, in yeah. a remote environment yeah and and look i mean i i think that you know hybrid and you know, periodic uh, working at home yeah, and not in the office all the time, I, that's fine. But to have no connection, right. even if they open offices and you're back in the office, you know, are How you often, working with anybody? 
in that office, you know, right. are just going to be people from different offices where you don't really interact. The other consideration along those lines is, is it important to you as a lawyer, is it important to be part of your community? Because at some, you know, particularly this is common in large firms, and I suffer from this as well, and I didn't really realize it as much until after I left and started my own practice, but are you part of the local community? If you're, you know, a litigator, are you litigating cases in your community in Miami? Or are you just dealing with cases that are, you know, big cases and high profile? That's great, but you're not really part of the Miami, you know, mm-hmm. litigation community or M&A deals. Are you dealing with, you know, with transactions with your peers down the street? Or are you just dealing with national cases? There are some big firms that have offices here and they don't do any, you know, work here. They're, you know, we're bankruptcy lawyers. There are firms that have huge practices here that we just don't, we don't see them in bankruptcy court. Right. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, it's another factor is do you want to be part of, you know, the local community? Like I said, I did, didn't even occur to me until I started my own firm and I was like, wow, geez, I haven't, haven't really hung out at the bankruptcy court like I do now. I didn't, re- didn't used to do this. You know, I wasn't really interacting with the local practitioners as much. It's not never, but it just right. was, it was different. Yeah, there's one other thing that you mentioned earlier. You referenced, you know, business development. I mean, let's be honest, you know, you're going to a big firm as a young lawyer. They don't care. They, they don't want you to develop business. They just want you to work on their business. That's why they're bringing you in. I mean, yeah, let's I was, be honest. I was actively discouraged. Right. I was affirmatively told, right. don't worry about that. Hone your skills and the business will come. And nothing could be further from the truth. It just does not work that way. Right. But it's hard. It is hard. It's hard when your rate is very high and the, you know, the retainer requirements are high and the conflict levels are, are, you know, challenging. It becomes very difficult to generate business. And with younger lawyers generating business, the natural progression is with smaller matters. I mean, they're not going to just, you know, as you're a young lawyer, you're, you know, I mean, maybe you will. It's You could generate a huge matter, but typically you're going to get smaller matters and, you know, they grow over time and as you gain more success. But small matters are hard to bring into to big firms. Uh, I used to have to do a whole memo. If I had a small matter, I had to do a memo justifying why the firm should take it. And it became difficult. And I'm not saying that not to criticize the firm, but I, I get why the firm was saying, why are, you know, we don't need $5,000 matters. We need $50,000 and $500,000 matters, $500,000, million matters. But I knew from my vantage point and part of why I left was I knew that, hey, when I do that $5,000 matter, I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to impress this client. This client's going to come back to me. This client could be growing. As they grow, their matters grow. But more importantly, they have friends and peers and colleagues and employees and counterparties and all those parties need lawyers. And so people ask each other. That's how you build a book. You start with one matter and that one, you know, multiplies into other matters. So that's another consideration I think that young lawyers are probably not thinking about. Yeah. It's not front and center, but to the same same way partnership, partnership track is important because every young lawyer you're taught when you're in law school to ask about partnership. If partnership's important to you, then business development better be important to you yeah. because you're not going to make partner if you don't have any ability to generate business. Yeah. Ask the questions that you want the answers to. And <laughs> have the courage to think long-term. I'll say this last comment is that I remember feeling that pressure to just get a job, get the job, you know? And the hardest thing is to not take the first job that comes along. And you know, I mean, how many lawyers do we know that have today a practice 20, 30 years later 
that was a product of just they got this particular job and then they got pigeonholed into and in, into a practice that they didn't want to do, but that's the job that was available. And so that's not uncommon. And those people, not as criticism, but didn't have the courage to wait for the right job that they really wanted in the practice area that they wanted or the you know city or size or whatever that they wanted. And so it takes courage. It's it ain't easy. But if you want fulfillment, have the courage to do what Simon said. I don't remember exactly the quote, but turn down basically turn down the money. Turn down. Don't follow just the money. Don't follow just the money. That's right. Think about this is your life. You only get one <laughs> shot here. So make it count. Brett. Jeff. Thank you for no, talking, chatting you. with me. Nelson, hang on one second. I just want to say one thing. If you like this podcast, please give us a five-star review. That's the one thing I want to say. <laughs> Follow us, share it with your friends and family, and they will we be will see you next if time. You, share you know, it with it's them. very easy to give a five-star review, by the way. I, I've started doing it on it's some of the podcasts a, I follow. It's a touch. You don't have to do much, so... If you, touch your screen. Really, if you liked it, even if you liked it just a little bit, give us a five-star review. Yeah, come on. Thanks. And if you listen to us, you will be fulfilled. And thank you, Brett. And thank you, Nelson. Thank you, Nelson. Thank you, Jeff. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.